So thank you guys so much for joining us today. Um, when I was in college, I, um, I played in this rock and roll band. I know, you're, you're impressed right now. It's uh, real. There's no laughter. Okay, that was a joke. Um, no, I played in this rock and roll band, and that was like my plan A. Anyone have a plan A in life? That was plan A. Listen, this is what I'm going to do with my life. There's, not, there's no plan B. This is plan A, right? And then, you know, I remember my parents saying something like, if you go to college, we'll pay for it, and if you don't, we won't. And I said, that makes sense. So I said, okay, well, I should go to college. I should have a backup plan. So plan B was the backup, was college, right? That's usually not the best order of things. Um, and so, but I felt weird having a plan B because I was so all in on plan A. Like, I'm all in on plan A. But then plan A kind of crumbled and fell apart, and I was like, oh, wow, good thing I have plan B. Right? I had something to fall back on. You ever hear that? Well, at least I could fall back on this. And that's not a bad thing. I think we should, as people, as followers of Jesus, we should develop skills that wherever we go, we can be useful and get jobs and we can you know, develop into more well-rounded people. So if you're in this time right now, it might be good to develop a skill that maybe you can uh, rely on someday. And so I had a plan A and I had a plan B. Right? And when plan A fell apart, I was like, I don't really know what to do, but I have this thing right? Sometimes people do this. They have a thing they've done their whole life, and then they try something new, and the new thing doesn't work out, and so they go back to the thing that they know. That's pretty normal. That's pretty standard, and that's kind of what happens after Jesus raises from the dead. The disciples, even though they see Jesus, and they meet him, and they, you know, they see him in the flesh. They see that there's no one in the grave. They, there's no grave clothes on him. He, he, like, teleports into their house one day and eats supper with them, and they're like, what is that all about? And he, sh- he shows up on the road when they're on after the cross. And so they know that Jesus is risen. And they know that all the things that he said has come to pass. But they do something that's really interesting. Instead of being like, all right, Lord, let's go for it. Let's do it. They just go back to their plan A. They go back to their original, originally what they did. So you and I are in a time right now where we're going to have a question to answer at the end of all this. And maybe you're asking it now. And this is what I've been asking. This week was not the most fun week for me. I was like, all right, when's the, when's the date we get to go back to normal, is what I started asking myself. In our men's group this week, I was like, it'd be great if they're like, at this date we get to go back to normal. And I'm like, sweet. I can muscle through it to get to that date, right? I mean, that makes more sense. And, I've, and I've, I feel like I was asking and praying the wrong thing. I said, Lord, when can I go back to normal? When can I go back to the way things were? And I felt like God saying to me and really kind of asking us as people, do you really want to go back to normal? Do you really want your life to go back to the way it was? Does that sound like kingdom thinking? Does that sound like kingdom living? Or do you want, to, or do you want your life to come into something new? That when this is all over, because it will be over, we have this opportunity to redefine who we want God wants us to be and who we are. And so my challenge to you today is that we stop praying that things would go back to normal. That we would stop praying for things to go back to the way they were. Okay, once, the things, once they're back to the way they were, I'll be good. Because I don't believe that God has put this time in our lives, not that God has, has caused this to happen, but he's allowed it. I don't think this time is wasted. And I think as followers of Jesus, we should ask, not, Lord, when can we go back to normal, to my life the way it is? When can I go back to plan A? But 
I think he's asking us, who do you want to be on the other side of that? That's what we've been talking about over the last month. So Peter and the disciples, they do this weird thing. Jesus died, he's risen again, he showed himself to them. In my brain, I'm like, sweet, all the things he said we're going to go do now. But they don't do that. They go back, and they go back to being fishermen. And they go back and they say, well, let's go fishing. I don't know. So they realize that Jesus had defeated death, and they realize that Jesus had come back from the dead, and that all, everything he said was going to happen. They had not yet been commissioned yet. So they just go back to what they know. So they go through this crazy three and a half years of life. And they, then when it all is over, they're like, well, I guess I'll go back to what I know. So they go fishing. And there's this great parallel to the way Peter was called by Jesus and the way P Jesus, Peter was restored by Jesus, where they're both fishing. And Jesus shows up at the shore. And he says, hey, throw your nets in the water. And all night they've been fishing. And if you know anything about fishing, it's really boring. Okay, if I could just say that. Um, fishing is boring. I'm sorry. If you love fishing, God bless you. Teach me to fish. That would be fun. We'll stand six feet away. Okay? But they spent all night fishing. There's no fish. All of a sudden, this man shows up on the shore. And he says, hey, throw your nets in again. And I, if it was me, I'd be like, no, go away. But that's not what they did. They put the... Uh, the nets in the water, it pulled out tons of fish. Peter realizes, oh my gosh, it's the Lord. And there's this great parallel. The first time Jesus meets Peter, he does the same thing. Throw your, throw your nets in the water. And Peter cowers in fear. He says, oh my gosh, no, I'm a sinful man. But this time he realizes it's the Lord. And he jumps in the water and swims ashore, which is so strange and so funny. Right? And it says things like, like uh, this is in John 21, where the rest of the disciples have to do all the work while Peter's swimming to shore to get to Jesus, right? So the disciples go back to what they know. They go back to fishermen, to be fishermen. Do you want life to go back to the way it was? Or do you want your life to become something new? Do you want what defines you and how you live and how you act and the way you think to be the way it was? Or has God allowed this to be a reset button in your life to become something that he wants you to be? So Jesus is on the shore. Everyone's there. And this is what it says in John 21. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Jesus had made bread and he had fish on a stove and he was sitting there ready for breakfast. Having breakfast with Jesus sounds great, doesn't it? That'd be fun. I love breakfast. Breakfast is the best meal of the day. So he's made breakfast. Come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples asked or dared, dared to ask him who you are, for they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them and did, same, did the same with, a, with the fish. This is now the third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples when he was raised from the dead. So they're fishing, and now they're sitting around a table. There's great parallels here. He, he's breaking bread like he did at the Last Supper. He's serving them food. He's being a servant to them. And then he wants them to come, and he wants them to sit. This, to me, is the most, one of the most intimate uh, moments of Jesus with his disciples. See, his disciples have, had all abandoned him before, at the cross. Peter denied him three times, the third time, to his face. It says, as, as the rooster crowed on the third time he betrayed him, he looked and he locked eyes with the Savior. And this is kind of the first time that Jesus has this kind of intimate, personal time with his disciples after they had abandoned him. See, I don't know about you, but when I screw up and when I like hurt someone, I tend to not want to spend a ton of time with them right away. Because why? Because I feel ashamed. Right? Sometimes with my kids, if they do something wrong, I'm like, where are you at? And they're up hiding in a room. I'm like, what's going on? Because they feel ashamed. 
And this is the first time that Jesus is like, no, come at breakfast. Let's talk about this. Let's deal with this. And this part of Scripture is known as the restoration of Peter. Peter had saw Jesus, had believed that Jesus rose from the dead, but he, was, he went back to his old life because he was ashamed. He didn't know what to do. He thought that maybe he was disqualified. He thought like, oh no, I, I can't be the things that God asked me to be because of what I did. See, none of us deal with this, right? Only all of us. So in verse 15, he says this. Makes him, he makes him supper, or makes him breakfast, and he sits down, and he says this. And then when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs, or feed my sheep. It's an interesting question. Do you love me more than these? So what is, he taught, what is these in this situation? Some people think it's the disciples. Do you love me more than these disciples? Which seems like strange, a strange thing, right? Because when the disciples come to Jesus and say, hey, who, am I the greatest? I'm the greatest, right, Jesus? Can you make me the greatest? Would that be great? And Jesus is like, you have no idea what you're saying. So that doesn't really sound like Jesus' heart. Peter, love me more than anyone else. Let's make it a competition, right? That does not sound like Jesus, right? Or maybe he's talking about the fish. Do you love me more than the fish? Do you love me more than the nets, more than the boats? I think what he's asking is, do you love me more than your old life? So you went back to your old way of living, your old way of thinking, your old way of making a living. Do you love me? Do you trust me more than that? Do you love me more than the old way? Do you love me more than your old livelihood? And then he says, Peter says, of course I love you. You know this. Which has some humility finally in Peter's voice. He says, feed my lambs. He says, no, this old life is not the life I have for you. Because I know that you love me. I want you to do the things I've asked you to do. See, Peter had disqualified himself. He said, well, I blew it. I'm just going to go back and finish the story that's already been written about me. I'm, I'm the fisherman. I'm Simon. I'm the reed. I'm the one who can just fish. I can do that. I know that. And Jesus is like, no. Do you love me more than that? Do you love me more than your old life? So what Jesus is doing is he's rewriting his story. See, the story of Peter without Jesus would have been just a lifelong fisherman. And even after Jesus says this thing, it's just he's going to go back and be a fisherman. And Jesus is saying, no. I want you to feed my lambs. I want you to care for those who are in in need. I want you to help raise up people to, fo to follow me. The things that I've said to you are still on. I'm going to ask you to keep doing that. I'm rewriting your story. You think your story is done, that you did so many things wrong, that now you have to can go back to what you were because you blew it. He's like, that's not how I work. Do you love me more than this? And I think the question Jesus would ask us, do you love me more than your old life? Do you trust me that I want to do something new in the next season? that your old life could be gone in a good way. Okay, so Jesus goes on to ask again. Again, he says to Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter answered, yes, you know that I love you. He's getting a little testy now. He's getting a little on edge. And Jesus says, take care of my sheep or shepherd my sheep. 
See, Jesus does something interesting in this. He calls Peter Simon again. I mean, to Jesus, names are really important. Like he would, na- in, in scripture, names are really important. They mean something, they have value. See, Simon meant this reed, right? It blowed by, blown by the wind, right? That like nothing could, nothing could stop, a, you know, anything could, get, could destroy a reed, right? But Jesus specifically in scripture, before he dies, says, no, you're no longer Simon. You're no longer the reed, you are the rock. But in this moment, he says, hey, Simon, do you love me? He's calling him Simon again. And is Jesus like jabbing him like, yeah, look at you, reed. No, he's speaking to what Peter's going through right now. He's like, listen, I know right now you feel like a reed. You feel like your old life. You feel like you just blew it and nothing can get you back. But I want you to shepherd my sheep. And that word means I want you to build a pen, a pasture, a place for my sheep to live and to grow and to be well. See, when Jesus affirms Peter as being a rock. He says, I'm going to build the church on you and the gates of hell will not prevail. He's saying, you feel like a reed, but I've made you a rock and nothing disqualifies you from that. Nothing disqualifies you from the calling I put in your life. See, in your life, the future is brighter than the past. In your life, what you've done doesn't disqualify your future. That's not the way God works. God loves to use disqualified people. Because he's the one who qualifies us. It's not what I do and not what I've done. And so Peter's, Peter's being restored now. He's like a second time. And these are parallels to his denial. He says, no, I'm going to restore you. I'm gonna, I still want you to build my church on. I still want to use you for my kingdom. I still want you to be a part of this whole thing. Do you love me? He asked again. The deal is still on. See, in your life, I know what you think. Well, I can't have that life. I can't have that marriage. I can't have that family. I can't have that peace. I can't have X, Y, Z blessing of God. I can't have this financial security. I can't have this, this, this uh, friendship or whatever thing that you don't think you can have because of whatever thing you've done. See, the old way of thinking and the old life, the grave clothes that you and I left behind do not define you anymore, but Jesus has restored your future. He's restored the future that you think that you've lost. And in Peter, he's saying, listen, you did not disqualify yourself. I want you to build my church. I want you to fulfill the thing that I've destined you to fulfill since the beginning of time. And he restores his future while Peter believes that his future is over and that he's just going to go back to what he thought he would be forever. Jesus is like, no, that's not how I've defined you. That's not how I've written your story. I've restored your future to something greater. So in your heart, do you want life to go back to normal? Or do you want life to be made new again on the other side of all of this? A third time, verse 17. A third time, Jesus says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. See, there's this parallel of his denial Every time, that, every time that Peter denied, it got more and more, he got more adamant that he didn't know Jesus. Right? Every time it was just this building of denial. And Jesus is now paralleled and said, hey, do you love me? 
Yes, I love you. And he's restoring and redefining who Peter is. See, Peter was living back as a fisherman that he was defined by his denials. And Jesus is saying, no, you're not defined by your denials. You're defined by my love. That's why he didn't say, oh, it's okay, Peter, three times. He said, do you love me? Because he's reiterating in Peter's heart and life that he's defined by the love of Jesus. And his love for God is what defines and makes him, not his denial. See, this season is a redefinition of who you are. Jesus wants to redefine your life. Re-identify yourself with Christ. Right? I talked to a friend this week, and, and she, um, she said her, she talked, she's you know, having a hard time. She can't see her grandkids, can't see her friends. And, and she said, but my daughter, their life was like crazy. Like running to every which way, every event, every sporting thing, every group, every meeting, every night of the week. Like running, running, running. And all of a sudden that stopped because you can't. And what's happening is she said, and this is what she said. She's like, my daughter is who she really is supposed to be. She's the daughter I knew. And not trying to achieve and, and run, run, run and portray this life or make sure everyone in your life is an achiever or whatever it is. It's like we're all kind of being redefined at this moment because there's not much glitz and glamour to this season. We're being redefined that we're not defined by how much we accomplish, how much we do, how, much we, how good we look on Facebook and Twitter or whatever else. We're being defined by who we are in our space, how we are loving our family, how we're loving our kids, how are we loving the world around us. See, Jesus is redefining Peter's life by asking over and over again. He's overshadowing the denial with love. You're not defined by your denial. You're defined by my love. Jesus sets Peter free and restores him back to a new life. So that's what you get to decide. That's what you get to walk into when this is all over. Please do not waste this time just feeling like this stinks. I wish we could be together. I mean, that, that's valid. We all feel that way. But I think our life is paralleling, paralleling the disciples right now. I just wish we could go back to normal. Like Peter, I'm just going to go back and fish, I guess. I'll fish. I know how to fish. I can do that. I'll go back to that. Instead of entering into the life that God wants you to have. Entering in to be the father and the husband and the mother and the wife and the sister and the brother and the follower of Jesus that God has asked you to become. See, there's an interesting thing when we, uh, last week we talked about leaving the grave clothes behind, right? And we're asking God to set us free. We're asking God to make us new. And sometimes that's just that God can do that like this, right? Like the power of these things, of our actions, of our pride, of our past, of our thoughts, God can set us free. And the power of those things can be broken off. But then sometimes there's kind of a now what? And I think that's what happened to the disciples. They're like, oh my gosh, Jesus is, is there. Now what? We don't know what to do. We'll go fishing or we'll go back to the way things were. And there's a couple things, something that's really important I want to make sure I share and that you, you see and that you apply to your life. There's two ways that God sets us free, okay? There's two ways that God will set us free. First, he can supernaturally do that. And then he sets us free through our behavior. Okay, so like the power, that's what God did last week in our hearts, right? He, the power of the things that would keep us bound 
with death and despair and destruction or whatever thing that you struggle with, that power can be broken. That's a spiritual breaking that happens. But you and I have become, become habitual people, right? We're people of pattern and habits. And so we don't just break the power of those things. Then we have to change our behavior, which is practical. If I struggle with looking at pornography, or if I drink, or if I have terrible thoughts in my brain, God can set me free from that power, but I have to also change my behavior, change my day-to-day process of how I live. Because what has happened is you build in ruts of your life. This is when I think terrible about myself before I go to bed. Or this is when I do X, Y, Z thing I know I shouldn't do at this moment of the day. And that habit might still be there. The power of that's broken, but the habit is still in your life. So you have to break that habit. You have to change your behavior. So it's not just a spiritual change. It has to be a practical, physical, and mental and emotional change to your life. When I was in in college, I had a habitual thing I I struggled with for years and years and years and years. And and one day someone was like, we're going to pray right now. And we prayed, and it was real intense and really, and I felt like I was set free. Like, I'm set free. The power of that thing is not controlling my actions. It's not controlling my life. But then I started going out with my week, and that the thing that I was doing and that thought process I was in was a pattern of my life. And so I found myself just going towards it, even though I didn't really want to or need to. I didn't even feel the pull anymore. It was just my habit. And so I had to practically think, in my day and in my life, how do I change my behavior? Okay, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think when those th- thoughts come up, the power of those thoughts aren't there, but I just have to take authority because God's power is in there. Or in, the, in my actions, I just have to change my pattern of living so I don't fall back into that way of life because that way of life can bind me again. So as you think about the things that God is bringing you out of, as you think about the things that he's not, he's taking you from here to here into this new life and new season, you might feel the power of these things being broken and the power of those things lessening in your life. But you might have to just practically change some behavior, change some pattern, change some schedule. Okay? Think about that as you walk into this new life and this new way of thinking. Then Jesus does this. He says this. So he's asked Peter three times, do you love me? And then he says, very truly I tell you. Okay, that's Jesus' way of saying, please listen. Right? If my kids, I have to sometimes grab them by the head and say, listen to me, please. Right? That, this is Jesus' way of saying, listen, hear this. You have to hear what I'm saying right now. Very truly I tell you this. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death that Peter would be glorified by God. And then he said to him, follow me. So this is really important. He's like, when you were younger, you could do, you could fish. You could just kind of do your life the way you wanted. But where I want to take you is going to take you into a new profoundly impactful life. And he says, listen, I'm going to take you into the play, a place where you're going to die for me. Peter ultimately does get crucified like Christ. He gets crucified upside down because he didn't count himself worthy to be crucified the way Jesus was. And then he says this, he says, follow me. Again, he says, follow me, like he did the first time when, when he, he called you. Peter to be a disciple. He says the same thing. Would you follow me? So he's like, I don't want you to go back to the way you were when you were younger, when you were less mature. 
when you are a new follower of Jesus or just not really sure what to believe, he's like, I want you to come into this new identity, this new place, and a new destination I'm leading you into. See, Jesus recommissioned Peter. Feed my sheep. Shepherd my flock. Take care of my lambs. You are not disqualified. Your shame does not define you. Don't go back to the way you were because it was comfortable. Don't go back to the life that you had because then it'll be normal and I can just do whatever I want. God is taking you into a new place. And we can't control this season. We can't control when this ends. We can't control when we can meet together. I wish we could do it next week. We can't control when we can hug each other and see each other and high five or whatever you do. We can't control any of that. But what we can control is who God makes us into. We can seek him. We can ask him to change and shape our lives so that we don't go back to normal because I don't think that's God's plan for you. That God's taking us into a new place. And in this middle ground, he's dealing with our hearts. He's dealing with our pride. He's probably feels like he's projecting all the brokenness in your life. Or maybe he's, he's showing you your insecurities. And don't look at this as like, oh my gosh, this is so terrible. I just want to go back to the way it was. No, that's not what's happening. The Lord is saying, I want, you to sh- I want to show you these things so I can heal you. I want to show you these things so that you can become not who you were when you were young, not immature, but who I've asked you to be and who I've designed you to be from the beginning of time because I'm rewriting your story. I'm rewriting your story. You are not set. There is a plot twist happening right now. I'm restoring your future. You are not defined or disqualified or set on the bench because of X, Y, Z thing, or you're just not smart enough or good looking enough or whatever. Your future is restored. Your shame doesn't define you. And I'm redefining. You are defined by my love is what the Lord says. You are redefined by the love of a Savior who died for you. And now he's recommissioning you to be light and salt to the world around you. You guys can come up. You're rewritten. You're restored. You're going to be redefined. And just like the old preachers do it, recommissioned. Lots of our words there. You're welcome. Lots of our words. I'm really challenged by this in my life. I think it's important for you and I to recognize that there might be some things in your life, and if it hasn't happened, it will probably, that are just going to be magnified. Some insecurities, some ways you see yourself, and you have been suppressing and overshadowing these things because of your busyness, because you got to get to the next practice, you got to get to the next meeting, you got to achieve the next thing, make the next sale. You need to, you know, what, watch the next show, whatever it may be. The Lord's saying, "Would you trust me with this time? Would you trust me in a, for the next week or two or six or whatever it may be? That you're not going to go back to who you were. You're going to become who God wants you to be." You're going to exit this season, new creation, new man, new woman, new child of God. This is what it says in Philippians, and we'll sing. 
Brothers and sisters, this is Paul. I do not consider myself to have yet taken hold of it. He say, he say, before this, he's talking about, I'm trying to live this life that's full of God's glory, and I'm trying to give all my heart and my life to him, but I'm not quite there, right? You and I feel that. We're trying to be like Jesus. We're trying to love like him. We're trying to be better human beings, trying to serve our neighbors better. We've not yet taken hold of this, but this is what he says. But this thing I do know, I'm forgetting what is behind I'm forgetting what is behind. I'm not going to go back and be a fisherman. I'm not going to go back and be the same Aaron. I'm not going to go back and be the same father. I'm not going to go back and be the same employee, the same person. I'm forgetting what is behind. And he says this, I'm straining for what is ahead. I'm driving towards what's ahead. I'm straining towards what's forward, what's new, what God has set before me. And he says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I press on toward the goal to win the prize. What is the prize? You and I have been commissioned by God to be a person, to be someone that he's wanted us to be, to develop our gifts, our talents, our passions, to love and to serve. And the prize is becoming that person is being who God wants you to be, to function in the gifts and talents and passions that he wants you to be. So you strive and press on before, towards that. See, many of us were just kind of sitting in neutral and letting the wind and the waves or whatever blow us each way. But we were in this rut that this is what our life was going to be. We're going to go do this again, go to work, come home, go ahead, go to work, go home. And God said, no, I'm pressing on towards the prize that God has called me. All of us then, verse 15, who are mature should take a view of this. So we're striving for maturity. And on some point, you think differently. God will make this clear. Then he says this. This is really important. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Let us live up to what we've already attained. See, in Christ, you and I have been set free. You and I have been forgiven. You and I have been made new creations. Now let's live up to that person that he already makes you to be. So God is just saying to us, we are forgetting what's behind. We do not want life to go back to normal. Do we want people to be able to be healthy again? Absolutely, in the name of Jesus. Do we want people to financially be made whole and right? Absolutely. Do we want small businesses to succeed and to continue to grow? Absolutely. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about individually. The thing that I can control is my behavior and my decisions. And so God, I give you my heart again to tell you, I don't want to be who I was. I want to become who you've asked me to be. So let's pray and then we're going to sing this song. And as we sing this song, what in your mentality is trying to make you into who you were and what do you need to become and who do you need to become in Christ on the other side of this life? And in this season is the time that God has given us to shape and to heal and to mend and to redefine, to restore, to rewrite. So Jesus, I pray in your name that you would speak as only you do. God, that you would change our mentality, change our perspective, change our heart to see that we do not want to go back to normal. We want to become new. Lord, I pray that you just would speak to us in whatever you're dealing with us in our hearts right now. In Jesus' name. God, I thank you that you do not leave us the way we were. 
You don't have to disqualify us because of what we've done. And you can break out of any rut that we find ourselves in. So as we sing this, Lord, we thank you that we're set free. We declare these words that we will move into who you've asked us to be.